my guest submitted a terse introduction. I now have a sharp eagerness to follow the B's. Yes, the letter B. My guest must have some bounce to his step. Richard Pollock Nelson from Aurora, Colorado. Welcome. I look forward to your subjects, banking, boomerangs, and bookbinding. Richard, it's uh, nice to have you on board today. If you would be good enough to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, I'd appreciate it. I, uh, I live in Colorado. I spent 35 years with the, as a bank examiner with the Comptroller of the Currency. During that time, uh, I was active in bicycling. I still do some bicycling. I owned a uh, boomerang company called Colorado Boomerangs for 10 years. And when the last three years of that career, I was in San Francisco, working in San Francisco. And that's where I stumbled upon bookbinding. Before we go any further, tell the listeners a little bit about the OCC and what your work was there. Well, the, the Comptroller of the Currency is a division of the U.S. Treasury Department. And we examined banks, national banks. They're actually banks that are federally chartered. They usually have national in their name or NA after their name. And basically, we went in and just checked for compliance with laws, rules, regulations, and if they were if they were following sound banking procedures. We, you know, we we it was like kind of a top-down approach where we, you know, we looked at the board of directors, their supervision, we looked at their policies and procedures, and we looked at their loan portfolios, and we assess the quality of those loan portfolios, their investment portfolios. Uh, just basically, you know, we looked at everything. Mm-hmm. It was actually, you know, some exciting times. Um, you know, it was some of the banks you go into, they don't want you there, obviously. And either because they're doing something wrong that they don't want you to find out, or they just think they know what they're doing. And then there's other banks that uh, actually, you know, looked forward to us coming in. And those were generally smaller banks because we could pass on best practices that we've seen in other banks and, you know, actually help them. And and then there were times where, you know, when you found banks that were doing illegal things, I I spent 18 months on one bank that was uh, doing some, this was back in the the subprime mortgage days, they were involved in that. So it, it was exciting, you know, just investigating and doing that because we were, we were, you know, interviewing officers, uh, deposing actually, our lawyers were deposing officers and other people to, to make our case. So there was, there was exciting times, there were boring times, but, um, and there was a lot of travel. That was the downside. This podcaster was a banker and mm-hmm. had to sit across the table from you folks on many occasions. <laughs> were you a national bank? Yes. Oh, okay. And the thing about that exchange between the OCC and, and, and our bank was the preparation of the portfolio. I was in the commercial lending. Mm-hmm. So we knew, you know, sometime before you folks were going to show up. So it gave us a chance to kind of dress up that portfolio, get the documents and whatever we needed to do to kind of make that portfolio look as good as possible. I, I enjoyed that because... You talked about best practices. Well, at that point, getting ready for the OCC, we are, in fact, reminding ourselves and acting according to the principles of best practices. Mm -hmm. That's why I always found it very interesting. And the general comments of the exit interviews were the, you know, the learning opportunity, you know, the the so-called advice. So, right. 
Well, and you know, when I first started in bank examining back in 1978, the banks didn't know we were coming in. We, we just showed up and generally around closing time. And, and there, you know, it, it, I always thought it was kind of rude, but, you know, that's, that, <laughs> we, we, we took over the teller's drawers. We, we balanced the teller's drawers. We killed the vault cash. Uh, we reconciled it to the general ledger. You know, so we just showed up unannounced, like we were going to try to find, some, find them doing something, you know, wrong. But mm-hmm. uh, that only lasted for a couple of years. And then we, we were actually sending out request letters and stuff ahead of time, which made the process go a lot easier. I think it would make it more fruitful. This, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this idea sneaking in a little more organized. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Oh yeah, I was working in a, uh, examining a bank in Gunnison, Colorado. Uh, several of us, and there's not a lot to do in Gunnison. And uh, we went into a bike shop. I had my bicycle. We went to a bike shop, and they were selling boomerangs. And so we bought, each of us bought one. We thought, what the heck, you know? And uh, we went out to the local baseball field to, th- to throw them, and we weren't having very good luck, even though an instruction booklet came with them. You know, you don't read instructions. <laughs> and, um, but we, I did notice on the instruction booklet that they were being made there in Gunnison. And so I went over to the shop, met the owner. There's two, two owners, two Davids. And he goes, well, I'll, I'll take you out and show you how to hook. So he took us out and showed us how to throw them. And... It was a little tricky in Gunnison because it can be kind of windy there at times. So I, I just became enamored with boomerangs. Uh, the, the bank there, that it's not there anymore, but it was a problem bank. So we were there like every six months. So I was spending a lot of time at the boomerang shop. In fact, after work, I'd go over there and help them uh, in the evenings. And so we became really good friends. And one of my conversations with him, he told me he was going to, or he was going to close it down. And I said, well, I might be interested in it. And so I took a look at the financials, and my wife and I did, and and so we bought it in 1997, and we ran it for 10 years. I've always wondered what kind of wood is used in a boomerang. Well, we there's all kinds of woods that's used, but um, for our type of boomerang, we we made wooden sport boomerangs. There's two types of boomerangs. Basically, there's a what they the Australians call a kill stick which is um, what they used to hunt with. And that boomerang doesn't come back. It's designed to go straight. You throw it at kind of a low level. It goes straight, hits the animal, and stuns them. And then the guy goes and gets his prey. Uh, the other type of boomerang is a returning boomerang, which um, is what we made, relatively light. And uh, it just made a really good, a heavier boomerang that we used. We actually drilled holes in. And it was for the wit, for windy conditions. Sometime along the line, you discovered interest in bookbinding, and I have mm-hmm. no idea how that connects to everything else we've been talking about. Well, you know, I was kind of thinking about that, too. I've always loved books. I love reading, and I love holding books, and I always respected, you know, printed books, because when I traveled a lot, I read a lot of books. And the other component to that is I like to work with my hands, which you don't do very much as a, as a bank examiner. But I always liked working with my hands. You know, I would even when I was a bank examiner, I, I did stuff like I did cross stitch mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a bank examiner. And so, you know, I think when I was when I was out in San Francisco, that's when I ran into bookbinding. I was at a pen show, the San Francisco Pen Show, and there was a guy there selling journals that he had hand bound, and he made these leather covers for him. Uh, he kind of stamped them using a kind of a Western saddle motif kind of uh, design. 
And uh, I, I looked at those and I thought, well, this is kind of cool. It doesn't look that hard. I bought one and I have three daughters that are, are you know, fairly artistic. Uh, well, very artistic, actually. And so I thought, well, I'll make them um, uh, an art journal or a sketch journal for Christmas. So I, I bought a book and I figured out how to do this sewing technique. It's called a Coptic stitch that that guy had used. And I made them all these Coptic journals. Looking back on them, they are really bad. But... <laughs> <laughs> my first try but I bought another book that had different binding techniques in it I was kind of messing around with that and then one day I stumbled across the uh, San Francisco Center for the book and where they had a book binding program there so I started taking classes there the last year we were there and I actually completed the uh, their certification program there they're they have a book binding certification program and because I knew in Denver because I looked Denver didn't have I, well, I couldn't find anything on uh, other than there's a chapter of the Guild of Bookworkers in Denver. But as far as classes and stuff, there was nothing really around there. So I wanted to get as much in in San Francisco as I could. In fact, after I moved back to Colorado, after I retired, I returned to San Francisco and took classes at, at the Center for the Book in the summertime. So I, I was doing that here. And then I, when I was in San Francisco for one of those classes, they mentioned that Telluride, Colorado, there's a place called the American Academy of Bookbinding, and they have a program, a degree program in bookbinding. So now I, I'm, I'm currently enrolled in that program, leatherbinding program. So I go down there uh, each summer for, a, for uh, a couple classes. You know, one class is two weeks. Most of the classes are one week. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm currently enrolled down there and taking classes. And to support that habit, I, uh, I teach classes in Denver on making uh, those Coptic journals. I use a cigar box for, for the covers. Uh, to make it kind of interesting. And I also teach classes in box making and other, and in traditional bookbinding. So that's kind of what I do. Okay. Now, you referenced using a cigar box for mm -hmm. a cover. Mm -hmm. I well, I can't figure out what you even mean by that. I'll take the lids. On most of the, like the paper-covered cigar boxes, the, you, can, you can detach the lids. So you need two boxes to make, to get two covers for your journal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the wooden ones have a skirt, a wooden, you know, a skirt around it that makes it a box. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will shave off the, the skirt on the top and the bottom and use, then use that top and bottom as the, the covers for the book. So, Where did that idea ever come from? I was, when I was working in San Francisco again, we worked down in the financial district. And one day I was walking back from lunch and I passed a cigar store. And I looked inside and, because I was looking for things to use for... Prior to this, I was making my own covers. I would use book cloth or paper to make the covers. And uh, I was looking for something more interesting. And I, I passed that cigar store. I, when I looked in, there was a pile of empty boxes on the floor that they were selling. So I went and looked at them. And I thought, and that's where I got the idea. I thought, well, these would make very nice covers for these journals. So that's, how, that's where I started. I started buying them there. And then when I got to Denver, there's, uh, I actually put those journals in about five cigar lounges to sell. And I have about five lounges that I go to to, to get boxes. And what's your marketing for the bookbinding? I have a website. It's called uh, handbounddesigns.com. And I, I have my, my boomerangs on there. I'll, I'll market or advertise on Facebook and just handing out cards at uh, the pen shows that I go to and the classes that I teach. So I still have to, that nut to crack as far as uh, where my actual market is, you know. What is the name of the website? 
handbounddesigns.com. Okay, I'm writing this down. Handbounddesigns.com. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. How do you spell dot? Uh, L-O-G. Oh, Pat. Richard, tell me some things about bookbinding, the actual details. What does that mean? Well, what's fascinating is, to me anyway, is uh, how a book is actually put together. Um, currently, if you go to a, a bookstore to buy a book today, 99.9% uh, .9 of them are going to be um, what they call perfect bound, which means that all the pages in the book are separate pages, and then they're all glued on the spine. There's a layer of glue put down that holds them all together. And then the cover's put on. Um, but when you hand bind a book, you, you, you know, you can't do it that way. So you're, you're actually using folded sheets of paper that are nested, to, nested together in what are called signatures. And then you'll have, you know, maybe 10 or 12 signatures to a book. And what you do is you actually use thread, you sew those signatures together and then you you apply some treatment to the spine to actually kind of to stabilize it basically you're maybe be gluing some paper to it sewing a headband hand sewing the headbands rather the books that you're going to buy are they're they're machine made uh, headbands so you actually hand sew the headbands on the no, it, what's, it's, what's, a, what's a headband a headband if you look at the top and the bottom of the book on the spine you'll see a colored usually it's colored thread or colored fabric at the top and the bottom that's called a headband or end band uh, and that was basically used put there to protect the book because when people take a book off a shelf they'll usually put their finger on the top and pull and a lot of times that'll pull the if it's covered in leather or cloth it'll pull that and tear it so they put this headband as kind of more of a protective kind of a thing when people do that um, so, all, well, one thing I left out, when you're sewing on, you're also sewing on either, usually, like on the, in the fine bindings, you're sewing on either a cord or several cords or tapes, and those are used to attach the covers. So you're, you're uh, weaving the cord in the cover, and that's what holds the cover on, and it holds the text block to the covers. And, uh, and then you cover the... You, you'll apply a covering to the covers, either leather, cloth, or paper, or a combination of those to the, to the covers. There's a few more technical steps in there, but that's basically the process. Now, that's in a fine binding, and when you're, if you're doing a case binding, you'll do the same thing on the text block. You'll sew the text block together, with, generally with tapes, and, uh, or you'll, you'll apply a, a thing called mull, it looks like a cheesecloth, and then when you, and then you'll make a you'll make a cover um, that you'll pre-cover with cloth or paper, and then you'll do what we call case in, where you take the text block, glue the front, well, what would be the front page, and then you put that in a case and close it to to case it in. So uh, you're not you're not threading the tapes through the covers. You're just right. gluing the, the covers to the text mm -hmm. block. Now, you, you teach a course. Do you teach 
this binding, the two kinds of binding in your course? Yeah, I have, I teach, mainly I teach the Coptic stitch, which is the ones I've used with the cigar journals. Mm -hmm. And I also do the cased in, I'll teach the cased in. I don't feel comfortable enough teaching the, the fine binding. I can, I've done the cased in binding. The name Coptic for the Coptic mm -hmm. stitch suggests Middle East. What, what does that uh, term mean well, in, in your business? Well, the Coptic stitch is actually the first binding technique that was used when they went from scrolls to uh, putting a codex, what they call a codex, which was the first books together. They used this Coptic stitch to sew those codexes. Mm -hmm. So it dates back to like the second century. In a bookstore, do we find books that are bound in this Coptic stitch? I don't think so. I don't think you would find them, no. Most of the bookstores that are selling new books, it's going to be perfect binding. If you go to a used bookstore, the older books are sewn. And you, you, you can find some that are sewn, you know, that were made before the perfect binding came out. How would one... Uh, know that though. I mean, if I went to a used bookstore, I, I would probably know which book looks old, but to go beyond that, uh, to well, actually know if it was sewn with a Coptic or anything, is there... Well, if you, if you look at the top of the book, you can actually, you'll see the signatures. Mm -hmm. You know, on, on one that's perfect bound, you won't see signatures. You'll just right. see but you'll actually see signatures and then if you open up to the middle of a signature mm -hmm. if it's sewn you'll see the thread inside in the inside the book in, okay. in the middle of that signature so you'll know that it's sewn your students do they have to buy their supplies when they come in to your classroom or is that uh, part of their fee that's part of the fee i usually have a materials fee that i'll use but um my classes are extremely reasonable. I, like this class that's coming up February the 8th, we're doing a, a slipcase. But, you know, and a slipcase is just used to protect the book. You put mm -hmm. the book inside of this thing. Well, I, I, if you look at old books, the first thing that goes is a spine because it's exposed to UV radiation when it's on a bookshelf. So putting it in a slipcase... You know, if a lot of people would put the slipcase on a shelf, well, the spine would still be exposed unless they know to turn it around. Hmm. Um, so I wanted to, something that would completely protect it. So I, I devised this, designed this, uh, uh, a slipcase with a magnetic closure, that, a flap that goes over the spine and is held closed with magnets. Wow. And so I'm, I'm teaching that class. And, and then I also, because they need something to put in it, <laughs> I, I already, we're, I'm going to have them case in a book, but I've already made the text block. So all they need to do is glue, is make the case, the covers, and then glue it, the text block into it. Richard, thanks for your time and courtesies. And listeners, I want to encourage you to go to Richard's website, handbounddesigns.com.